you can go ahead and get ready. What we've been seeing in 1 Corinthians is that it's the book that is written to a church that had a lot of problems. And the theme that we're emphasizing is the fact that there is a particular importance about God putting together this thing called the body of Christ and Christians living in a community is so critically important to our growth and our health and our joy such that if we try and live our lives selfishly, if we try and live our lives thinking of ourselves first and the others later, well, we're going to rob ourselves of that joy. We're not going to be able to grow and we're going to have nothing but problems. And the Corinthian church had nothing but problems. And every chapter addresses another problem and another issue. And what we've dealt with coming through from chapter 1 through chapter 6 into 7 is just all kinds of various relationships that become problems when we emphasize ourselves over the needs of the community. And just face it, relationships today are all over the map, are they not? I mean, there are all kinds of problems. They're not in accordance with what the plan of the Lord would be. There's single people that are living together. There's people who are married, but they're unhappy. They're unfaithful marriages. There's marriages of convenience. Maybe they just stay married for the kids. Maybe they stay married for financial reasons. We have same-sex unions. We have multiple partners. What's going on? We have all kinds of things that are happening. People would, in society, potentially point that towards progress. Uh, Open-mindedness. I think sometimes people are so open-minded that their brains leak out. (laughs) The worst case of all of it probably is, though, that more and more we see Christian people giving into the pressure of society and approving these things and thinking that it's okay. Now, here at First Baptist Church, if you're new, again, like Troy said, we're so glad you're with us. And uh, let me just tell you, at our church, we just take the Scripture as it comes. And we study it verse by verse, and and we let God speak to us. Uh, I don't prepare clever little talks. I'm not that clever. Um, I don't really have anything for you, but the Lord has a lot for us all. And we are in the process of systematically going through this particular chapter, which deals with the issue of marriage and divorce and singleness and remarriage and all of these things. It's not surprising that the Bible has things to say about these things, right? And what we'll see is anything out of these prescribes of the Scripture, well, they fall into the category of sin. That's all there is to it. And they're sin because we allow our flesh to take over and get the best of us in the decisions that we make. So as we've looked at this theme of the power of community, and we've kind of coined the phrase that we is greater than me, if you can instill that mindset into your regular decision-making, well, then you'll find that you'll be able to walk with the Lord with joy. Because it's always selfishness that destroys God's plan for our lives. And that plan includes unity in our relationships. So chapter 7 deals with these things. And what we're going to see as a title today that I've given is God's final word on marital status. And this is literally what we see when we get to these verses. Throughout the entire unfolding of Scripture, there has been this progressive revelation as God has talked about the issue specifically of marriage and how marriage should last forever, but Moses allowed a divorce, but only allowed it because of your sin. And Jesus said the only sin allowable 
would be fornication. And then we saw earlier in the chapter that it could also be if, if the unbelieving spouse leaves you. That's another thing that the revelation of God is ever unfolding. We're going to kind of end once and for all. This is the last place in your Bible. This is the fullest and final word of God on the issue of marital status. And I'm saying marital status because it covers all the areas of marital status. And the context is for saved Christian people. So if you're one of those, this is for you. This is God's plan for you. So if you'll just follow along, we're jumping in this week, starting in verse 25. And we're only going to go to verse 28. So I'll read and you can follow along. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress, I say, that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. Okay, so these are just a few verses, and there's some things that, that if you've been with us, you know this is kind of review, and it's well-trodden ground. But we're going to see how the Lord puts together this progression and basically defines all the categories in one compact package. And this is what we have to see. So before we do that, let's just pray quickly and then we'll get into our outline. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, uh, as always, for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of eternal life and we thank you for your holy word and the Holy Spirit that lives in us to teach us your word. And so we are very thankful that you have given to us very clearly your word and therefore your will on this subject. And I pray, Lord, as always, that you would give us ears to hear and that you would give us tender hearts to be able to accept and most importantly apply the things that you would speak to us. Lord, in a crowd this size, there's all kinds of people with all kinds of issues in their lives and only you know the details of each and every one and only you need to. But as they hear your word today, Lord, I pray that you would give them the direction they need and they would find the peace and the courage, therefore, to reply and to obey what you would have for them. May we not be selfish people. May we not be those that think of ourselves and look and fight and argue and, and always struggle to gain what we can gain at the expense of others, but rather may we just look to obey your plan and in it find our joy. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so this passage begins, and the first category that we have is to the single. So if that's you, to the single, we say, stay single. That's just that simple. And he begins in verse number 25, and, and he says, now concerning virgins. Now, in, of course, our understanding, but also in the context of what we're reading, obviously this could refer to males, as it says in verse 26, um, it's good for a man so to be in the context of a virgin, an un-never-married man. Or it could be a female, like it says in verse 28, if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. So it could be male, it could be female, obviously. The, the context is simply people who have never been married. And of course that's the case, because people who have never been married, in the context of God's will for our lives, should therefore be virgins. Now, if that's you, if you have never been married... Uh, listen up, because this is what God has to say to you. Uh, this material is not new in this chapter. In fact, you can glance back all the way to the very first verse as God introduces this subject. It says, 
Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And we saw in that study, in the context, that literally means an intimate touch. It means a physical, intimate relationship. And so what he's saying is basically, it's good for a man not to marry. That's a good thing. We could continue down and look in verses 7 and 8, where he says it again. For I would that all men were even as I myself. In other words, single, Paul says. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I abide. In other words, unmarried. And so this is material that we've seen before. What I want you to see is in verse 25, the way he phrases it, he says, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. And so if you glance back at verse number 12, again, I want you to understand when Paul makes a statement like that, what he has written in here, it's not just his opinion. It's not just take it or leave it. It's still inspired scripture, like in verse number 12, where he says, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Well, he's not saying that this isn't what the Lord wants for you. He's just saying that the Lord Jesus, when he was on this earth, didn't address that particular subject. But God has inspired Paul to address it, and he wrote it down so that we could have it. And so first and foremost, you need to understand, I have no commandment of the Lord doesn't mean God doesn't have anything to say about this. No, what he's saying is, I give my judgment, and I'm pretty sure the Lord's given me some mercy so that you can hear what he really wants for you today. Okay, that's really what he's doing. But really what I want us to see today, I think we understand that basis, is I want you to understand how it applies practically. I want you to see what a statement like that really can mean for you. And I put this in your notes, that single adults do well to seek godly counsel from qualified leaders. That's something you should really seriously consider. So in his day and time, Paul obviously held the official office of an apostle. And as such, obviously faithful to the Lord, faithful in his walk with God, faithful in his ministry and his commitment and his personal purity and holiness and his, his understanding of truth and his ability to build up the saints. And so Paul gave his judgment as one that has obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. And so today what we see is we may not have any more apostles on the, on the earth and we may not have any more prophets, but Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 the gifts that are given to the church throughout history. And it says in verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so while we may not have an Apostle Paul walking around on the earth anymore, God has so fitted his body with leaders, qualified leaders that are in the office now of pastors and teachers. And so single adults would do well to seek godly counsel from qualified leaders, if you come across issues and scenarios that your specific details don't seem to find a home written explicitly in black and white on the pages of Scripture, it's a good idea to get some counsel. It's a good idea to get some help from some other people. In fact, it specifically says in verse 26 that it is good for a man so to be. It is good. Now, it's interesting because we went back already and we saw in verse number one where it says it's good for a man not to touch a woman and in verse number eight where he says it's good for a man so to be it's good for a man to abide even as i abide right 
And in all three cases, the three times where it says it is good in this chapter, in all cases it's referring to somebody remaining single. Every single time. And that's what he says here. It is good for a man so to be. How? To continue to be a virgin, to continue to be single, to continue to be never married. And many of us might reply if we found ourselves in that situation, well, I'm sorry, no, it's actually not that good. <laughs> Some of us might say, well, yeah, you know, I've been doing this for a while now, and let me just tell you what's not good. It's not really good for me to be alone because the truth of the matter is I'm lonely. The truth of the matter is I'm tired of going home to a house by myself. The truth of the matter is I'm tired of eating frozen TV dinners. I'm tired of whatever you might be tired of. Uh, you would say, I want to have a spouse. Uh, I, I want to have children. I want to have a family. And I would say that's absolutely fine. There's nothing sinful in any of those things. That's a wonderful thing. But the way that it says it is good, I want you to understand, biblically it does not necessarily mean that it's personally and immediately pleasurable for you. It means that it's good for you. Or maybe I could say that it's ultimately or eternally good. For example, Psalm 119 and verse 71. It is good for me that I've been afflicted. It's, it's never good to be afflicted. Who's interested in that? But it's good for me that I've been afflicted. Why? That I might learn thy statutes. Because there are just some things about the Lord, there are just some things about the Scripture that you cannot ever possibly learn without suffering. You're just never going to do it. In fact, so much so that Paul calls it the fellowship of his sufferings. And if you live a wonderfully protected life, and if that is you, you know, I'm so happy for you to be able to enjoy that. But the truth is none of us really live that life. And when we go through the afflictions and the difficulties and the tribulations of our life, God uses those things to teach us new things about him. And so many times, so many of us that have gone through very difficult times come out on the other end, right? And we've learned things and walked with the Lord at levels that we never had before. And we would actually honestly say, if I could go back, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it. Because you learn to know and walk with the Lord even more so. But you may recall, and this has actually been addressed when we first began this chapter back in the beginning of July, uh, that we are reminded that back in Genesis 2 and verse 18, that God said that it's not good that man should be alone. Well, it's good that man should be alone, and it's not good that man should be alone. I mean, it sounds kind of like a contradiction. What's that really all about? How's that possible? Well, of course, everything has its own context, right? So in Genesis 2, what we see, it's all about God fulfilling his command. He's got this command that he gives to Adam to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. In other words, he's telling Adam, make babies, which the last time I checked is pretty hard to do by yourself. <laughs> but 1 Corinthians 7, on the other hand, has a little different context, right? 1 Corinthians 7, this is in your notes, is about fulfilling God's command to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, this time spiritually, in other words, making disciples, which sometimes is better accomplished alone. You need to understand that. Sometimes it is better accomplished, the propagation of the kingdom of God and the making of disciples and the fulfilling of the Great Commission is better accomplished and better served alone. 
Well, why is that? Well, Paul says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good, right, for a man so to be. It goes on in verse 26. It says, this is good for the present distress. What does that really mean? The present distress. Well, actually, I think there's several options that are possible, and I want to present them to you. Generally speaking, we would define the word distress to mean trouble, anguish, misfortune. This particular word that is translated distress is not the exact same word that is translated distress when you find distress in your English Bible many, many, many times. This particular word that's translated distress is only translated distress two times, this place and in Luke 21, which we'll see in a minute. And all the other times, just about, it's translated as some form of necessity, for the present necessity. Nevertheless, there is an association, and there's an association with the necessity having something to do with some difficulty, some misfortune, the present distress. And so if we want to understand what that means, we would think of sticking to the immediate context of the passage, of course. And immediately before verse 25, in the last couple of sections of Scripture that we studied together, we saw that really some of the distress came from the fact that we had these people with spiritually mixed marriages. We had saved people married to unsaved people. And as a result, they had all kind of trouble. And as a result of the trouble, the saved person was questioning, should I get out of the marriage because I'm not supposed to be married to an unsaved person? And Paul says, no, stick it out. If the unsaved member of, of the marriage is willing to stick it out, you be willing to stick it out, right? So maybe, you know, people are bailing on their marriage and maybe that's what he's trying to say when he says, you know, it's good for the present distress. Don't even get into that thing, man. Don't even get into it. Or maybe it has to do with the connection with the following verses that we see and we'll get into next time, starting in verse 29, where it says the following distress could potentially be, where, for example, in verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. We're saving that for next time, okay? But the idea is, hey, we're running out of time, right? And if you look down, and you can see again, continuing to, to read down to verse 31. And they that use this world, not as abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Well, the present distress might be that we're living in the last moments of the last days of the church age. The rapture could happen at any time. Why even mess with the marriage thing? You could leverage your freedom in singleness for the sake of the gospel and run full out to the finish line. That's a possibility, and that's what he's saying for the present distress. That's an option. There is yet another option. And the other option is, really, uh, the very real possibility of physical persecution to believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, when we get to chapter number 15, for example, of 1 Corinthians, uh, in verse number 30, Paul is talking about a thing in verse 29 of being baptized for the dead. That'll be interesting when we get there. But he says in verse 30 on the follow-up to that, he says, And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? In other words, there was a very real physical persecution that was going on against the believers in Corinth in that day. It's undisputable. It's in the Scripture. It's absolutely true. And that would certainly be considered a distress without question. That would certainly be a necessity of fear. I mean, if you potentially are going to have your life hazarded, and if you are going to have your life put in jeopardy for the sake of your stand for Jesus Christ, 
Let me just tell you, as the leader of a household, I would rather not have to worry about hazarding my wife's life or hazarding my children's life. It would be much easier to just say, well, it's just me and the Lord. I mean, I'm going to take it on and we'll just go. So for the present distress in that context might be, well, you know, actually, if that's the case, I think you could see how it actually could really be good to just be you and the Lord going forward, right? And we actually see this context in Luke 21, the other usage of this word distress, where Jesus says, and and it's leading up to the tribulation in context, but he says, but woe unto them that are with child. Okay, so we're talking about a family unit, right? And to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. So my particular thought, my particular favorite context, the one that I would lean towards would be the third one. Uh, There was without question a physical persecution and without question that would be a situation that would make you seriously think, yeah, you know, I mean, if that's the case, it would be better to not have to be responsible for others and I can just serve the Lord. Um, In case you think that Maybe that's not that likely. We do live in a very comfortable time in history and a very comfortable nation as far as being a Christian is concerned. We can freely meet and worship. Uh, Not everybody lives in that situation. Um, If you just consider the lives of missionaries that are trying to reach radical Muslim nations and the difficulties and the pressures that they face in so doing, uh, we have one ministry partner who works in the country of Turkey, and he, one of his present distresses is his son is of age to be put into the public schools. And in the public schools in Turkey, starting in grade number one, they teach Islam. They teach Islam. You say, well, why didn't he just homeschool? Well, he could. He wants to leverage the opportunities for relationships, meeting people through the schools, et cetera, et cetera. Nevertheless, that is a real issue. We have another ministry partner who's worked in North Africa in those nations and and, uh, recently has left that country for the very same reason he's found it difficult to school his children in that environment. And so they have chosen to move to a new location. Uh, These kinds of things happen all the time, and we're not even talking about that they were physically beaten or tortured, which also happens in other places in this world today. So these are situations where, you know, there are some places in the world that need missionaries. And I'm just going to be honest with you. There's some places in the world you just don't want to take a family. If you're going to try and reach those people, uh, we might need some men who will go alone. And they'll just do it alone. But everyone after his own gift, right? So if you can't stay single, if you can't remain a virgin, if you can't remain pure for whatever reason, well, then you have another option. And God is gracious, and the other option is to get married. And that's our second point of study. So to the married, stay married. If you're married, stay married. And it starts in verse 27, says, ask the question, art thou bound unto a wife? Are you married? Seek not to be loosed. If you're married, stay married. Pretty simple. The word loosed Set free, literally like you would think. It's used by the Apostle Paul in his writings only here in 1 Corinthians 7 and in Romans chapter 7. In both cases, 
in reference to ending a marriage. So, for example, if you were to glance back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and, and just look in verse 17, for example, we saw this again. This is review. This is material that's been covered. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all the churches. The idea is, stick it out, right? That's what he's saying. Verse 20, let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. If you got saved and you're married before you were saved and you get saved, well, man, stick it out. Be married. Verse 24, brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. To the married, he says, stay married. Okay, so this is review, and we're not going to take a lot of time to stay here, but I just want to remind you, maybe this is your first time. We just want to make it very clear that this is in your notes. God's plan for marriage has always been for one man, one woman, forever. That's always been God's plan for marriage. And we could take that from a lot of different places, but I just want to remind you from Matthew chapter 19, which we have referred to in the past, where it says, The Pharisees also, in verse number 3, The Pharisees also came unto him, unto Jesus, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Don't you remember that, Pharisees? Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. If God has joined you in your marital union, Do not let a human being, yourself, your spouse, or any other human being, intervene in such a way that it would divide that union. To the married, I say, stay married. This is repeated here, and I go over this ground briefly, only because this truly is God's final word on all levels of marital status. Never been married or married, okay? But we've already seen in this chapter so far that there are people who don't follow that prescription. There are people who live selfishly and therefore destroy the unity of a marriage bond. So if for whatever reason somebody can't stay married, well then they find themselves in category number three. And we're moving on to the single again. Stay single. If you find yourself single again, Well then, stay there, okay? Verse 27 continues and asks another question. Art thou loosed from a wife? Obviously, used to be joined to a wife. Now you are loosed from a wife. The advice for you is, seek not a wife. Seek not a wife. Now we're into some new info. Now we're into an area where God is kind of dotting the I's and crossing the T's and finishing up this narrative on this situation. Because this is the place where he really finally lays it all out. And what we're going to see, we're going to see how he deals with these situations. This is very important because we live in a day and a time where this happens a lot. And you're sitting there, certainly like I would be sitting there if I was you, considering myself, where do I fit in this little chart? What is God saying to me in my situation right now? And so to the single again, if you happen to be single again, well then, stay single. That's God's advice to you. We've seen before, and I put it in your notes just as a reminder, there are only three biblical reasons, biblical underline, 
there are only three biblical reasons why a Christian should be loosed from a marriage. Certainly death is one of them. That ends the marriage. The second would be defrauding. That would be sexual infidelity. That would be fornication, adultery. One of the partners steps out on the other partner and joins themselves to a different one. And the last would be desertion, and we saw that earlier in chapter 7. So it says, if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not in bondage in such cases. Well, to not be in bondage is the same thing as being loosed. They are loosed. They are set free. And if any of those three things happen in your marriage, where your spouse passes away, cheats on you, or runs away and ditches you, right? You are officially, in the eyes of the Lord, loosed from your marriage. You are set free from the bonds of matrimony. You are no longer held to the vow that you made. Those circumstances were thrust upon you. That was not your choice. You are the victim. You are the one that it happened to. You didn't seek to be loosed. Somebody else did something. They did that to you. You desire to be faithful forever according to God's plan. It's not your fault. It was not what you sought after. And in such cases, if you find yourself in that category, well, God says to us, seek not a wife. Seek not a wife. And a lot of people who have been through the pains of a divorce, and and many times they can be very painful, A death is one thing, but that happens, and, well, you know, you do what you can to move on, but in a situation of the defrauding or the desertion, man, I mean, the the difficulty that goes on, I, I can only imagine how the first reaction of the victim would be, well, I'm not, I'm not in a hurry to do that again, right? So staying single actually sounds like a pretty good idea, but time goes on, and there are challenges. When Before we get to that, we've got some ground to cover. So in other words, what we really need to see as we're going through this is, and this is in your notes, just be content. And that's what we dealt with all last week in the verses leading up to this. Wherever you find yourself, therein abide. However you find yourself, that's where you should be content. Don't seek to change your status, whatever it might be. And certainly the Apostle Paul fully understood what he was talking about, right? Right? He was single back in verse number 8. We saw that. And we even saw these verses when we were worshiping today. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, where Paul says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. And then the verse we all know and thank the Lord for, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so certainly with the strength of Christ, right, as you are serving him faithfully, well, you can do all things. You can can handle any situation of adversity. And Paul chose to be content in the midst of these fluctuating states of life. That's a whole nother good sermon to bring up someday, wouldn't it be? Just the idea that you can actually choose and decide, I will be content 
right where the Lord has me now. Because to not do so, does it not hint of just a little bit of selfishness? If you're constantly seeking that greener grass somewhere else, doesn't it, doesn't it kind of make you think a little bit about, hey, what about me? What can I get? How about I'm not feeling what I want, what I need when I need it? Isn't there just something about that? Paul chose to be content, and he's like, look, if God gives me abundance, praise the Lord, but you know what? He can take it away. I don't really care. I'm content. It's okay either way. And he said that. One chapter after, he said this in Philippians 3, because Paul lost all things, and I would say, most likely, including his wife, right? We saw before how Paul, it does not say in Scripture, but there is a good chance that he would have been a married man. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. History tells us that that would require a marital status. They would have to be married in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin. And he was brought up under Gamaliel, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and all these things. And what does he say in Philippians 3, giving his testimony, starting in verse number 4? Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. You think you've got things to be proud of? Listen to this. Listen to this resume. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, in Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Notice, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. I don't think it's a stretch to say Paul lost his wife. She may have died. She may have left him. I don't really know. But there's a good chance that that happened. It doesn't really matter if it happened to him or not. I think it did. But what he says to us in 1 Corinthians 7 is clear. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Be content where you're at. Now, all of those things would apply within the context of the loosing happening on the basis of one of those three biblical grounds. So your mind, if it's like mine, would naturally be, well, what if it wasn't? Or what if there's another situation? And the typical situation that we hear of, sadly, far too frequently, is the next thing in your notes. Well, what about in the case of abuse? What about in the case of abuse? What if somebody had to be separated or divorced due to an abusive relationship? And sadly, we hear about that far too frequently. Now, I just want to draw your attention back to verse 25 and why we hit a practical application of verse 25. Yes, of course, it belongs in Scripture. But Paul says to the virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. In other words, there's nothing written about this yet. Yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. And so I think I'll take a page from Paul's book, and I will say like Paul in verse 25, that although we have no commandment of the Lord in the situation of an abusive relationship, I, as your pastor, can say I will give my judgment. And by comparing the principles of Scripture and the, and the drama of real life, well, I think the answer is, an application of this principle. 
God is the protector of those that can't protect themselves. Have you noticed that through Scripture? Have you remember reading through the Old Testament over and over again where God is constantly telling the nation of Israel and the tribes how that they need to care for the widows and the fatherless? Because they can't care for themselves. In fact, it goes so far as to extend to what are called strangers. The idea would be the foreign population that is wandering through their land. These are people without a home. These are people without a people. These are people who are passing through. These are people who don't necessarily have the ability to protect themselves and provide for themselves in all those situations. And God makes sure that he is going to protect people who can't protect themselves. And I'm here to tell you, if you find yourself or have found yourself the victim of an abusive relationship, then you need somebody to help you get some protection. And and the scriptures don't explicitly lay out those words. But listen, we don't ever counsel people to get divorced. We don't ever tell them, you know, it's a good idea. Well, unless they're in one of those three categories. Well, what about the case of abuse? Well, well. You know, you might have to wink a little, but I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I am not going to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and say, I required that woman to stay in a physically abusive relationship. There's no way I'm taking that on. And so, you know, I think that it's fair comparing the principles of Scripture for you to understand. And if you find yourself having had in your past this kind of a situation, I want you to know God is interested in protecting you. God is interested in caring for you and loving you and not forcing you to be in that kind of bondage. That's never been what the marital vow was all about. Never. And you can, in my opinion, have equivalent biblical defense for grounds to be loosed from that vow, to be loosed from that relationship. You cannot remain in that kind of bondage. Listen, life happens It happens to everybody, and it's messy, is it not? Things often don't go the way that we planned. No matter how well we behave, things often just don't go the way we planned. Now, most cases, divorces happen because there's some fault on both sides. That's very common and, and of course, expected. But there can be a situation where one partner truly has behaved exceptionally well, And the other one is just a loser. (laughs) It happens. Let me just tell you. Let me just tell you by way of comfort. To prove the fact that things don't always go as you planned, no matter how righteous you are, I want you to notice from the authority of the Scriptures that God is a divorced man. God himself is a divorced man. Did you know that? Did you know God is a divorced man? Uh, It is said that the Father God, Jehovah, is married to the nation of Israel. You think that's a stretch? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is our bridegroom. The church, the body of Christ, is the bride of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing. In the Old Testament, God the Father is said to be married to Israel. I've never seen that before. Well, I'm glad you came today. (laughs) Isaiah 54 and verse 5, For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, 
shall he be called. I mean, they named him five times like they weren't going to get it. But there's a problem. They had that special, intimate, spiritual relationship, God and the nation of Israel. Uh, but Israel committed spiritual adultery and ran after other gods in idolatry. And in so running after other gods, they not only committed the defrauding, they also committed the desertion, right? And that's what we see, that God the Father, as a result, had biblical grounds to put Israel away. And he did. And you say, well, I know so-and-so, and everybody knows a so-and-so. I know so-and-so, and this situation happened, and one partner was unfaithful, and, and she forgave him, or he forgave her. And, you know, it was tough, but they worked through it, and they're still together. Praise the Lord. Man, if that works out, that is phenomenal. But don't think that if the one who says, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm not putting up with that infidelity, it's over. If that happens to be you with that mindset, or if that's happened to you, for example, I want you to know you're in good company. That's what God did. God said, look, I'm not, it's not like, oh, okay, we'll just wink at it. I mean, I really love you. I mean, does anybody love anybody here more than God loves Israel? Really? No, he said, uh-uh, sorry, cross the line. You're out. And he put her away. He really did. That's what he did. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse number 1. They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou, speaking to Israel, hast played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Jump down to verse number seven. And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Verse 14, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And verse number 20, Surely as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. So God's a divorced man. I think I have Isaiah 50 in your notes. It's basically the same thing. You could also spend some time, if you like, and study the minor prophet in the Old Testament of Hosea. And the whole story of Hosea is that God commands Hosea to take a wife of prostitution who does nothing but step out on him constantly. And God tells him to continually wait for her to repent and eventually come back and lays out very clearly because Hosea, by the way, the life of the Old Testament prophets, man, was just, I mean to tell you, that was a tough life. Those guys had to live out physically whatever spiritual picture God was trying to paint to the nation of Israel who were too thick to get it. And so he takes this poor guy, Hosea, man, and says, you got to live this mess so that all Israel can see how awful it is and get the clue that that's what they're doing to me. That's what they're doing to me. So, man, Hosea, <laughs> that was a tough ride, right? 
So what did God do? I mean, where is God in this outline? Well, God is in the single again part. That's where God is, right? And God, since he's the one who said, hey, if you're single again, stay single, well, guess what he's doing? He's staying single. That's what he's doing. And he remains single, this is in your notes, until his wife reconciles. So he's like, look, she's either going to get right or, you know, whatever. But uh, he, didn't, he didn't pick another nation to start over. He didn't do it. He stayed single and waits for her to reconcile. And by the way, Israel will repent of her fornication spiritually, and she will return through the great tribulation entering into the time of the millennium, and they will be reunited, and it'll be a beautiful thing. But that's what's best if you find yourself single again. Stay single. Serve the Lord. By the way, a lot of people do that. A lot of people. You read all through the scriptures about widow women who just grow old as widow women raising their children. That's what they do. They serve the Lord. But if you just can't stay single, well, listen, God makes a provision. We have a loving God. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, where the context is dealing with widows, and which are the widows that actually qualify for the church to take on support and provision for these widows, he says in verse number 14, I will therefore that younger women, context explicitly is widows, younger widows, marry. That's the will of God. If, you're, if you lost your husband and you're still very young to remain single all the rest of your life, God says, look, I know it's probably hard. It's probably hard. So if you're young and you can, look, just get married. It's okay. Bear children. Guide the house. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Don't let your flesh get so control of you that Okay, you had a bad thing happen to you, but now you're just carnal. Don't let that happen. Man, get married. And so then we have our last category, number four. To the married again. Stay married. (laughs) There's a theme. To the married again, stay married. It starts off and it says, But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Now the thou in that sentence absolutely clearly from the context, is the one who was recently loosed from a wife. You say, well, how do you know? Well, because I kept reading. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. I always wondered if that's where the Catholics got, virgin Mary, she hath not sinned. I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay, so, thou, if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, is in the direct context of art thou loosed from a wife. It's the same thou, right? What I really want you to see in this, and again, this is new, this is new. Thou hast not sinned. There is no sin. Listen, we have four stations of life, never been married, once and forever happily married. For some reason, the marriage ended and remarried, and in any of those cases, within minor parameters of those biblical grounds, no sin. Thou hast not sinned. Praise the Lord for, amen? Praise the Lord for that. Because life is hard, and life is messy, and the flesh is everywhere, and sin is rampant, and people don't care for anyone but themselves. And so in your notes, I put it this way. Notice, in all of these scenarios, there is no sin assigned. There is no sin assigned. Hallelujah. Yes, for sure. Some choices are better than other choices. 
But in these cases, none of them come to the point of being considered sin. Now, that's good news. What, you know, what that says is, well, there's, there's some ramifications of that. There's some things we need to get as a result of that solid biblical truth. And one of them, we're going to see right here, it's possible. It's possible, right? We've been studying the scripture. I'm not making this up. It's possible for a brother to have been married, divorced, and remarried within the context of those biblical grounds and have not sinned. Amen? Did you read that? Remember when Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free? That'll make you free, right? Because there's a lot of people who live under some cloud of bondage, typically put on them by others because of the misfortunes they've had in their marital experiences. But here's what we're going to learn today and mark it down. A divorced person is not categorically disqualified from ministry service. A divorced person is not categorically disqualified from ministry service, like many people erroneously teach today. They'll go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first couple of verses. It is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. What does exactly that mean? Well, there's a whole bunch of character qualities listed after it. The first one is the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. And so what we typically see when we see this is that, well, you know, if you have one marriage certificate and have only had one marriage certificate, well then, you potentially can be a bishop. But if not, well, I'm sorry, you're out. Too bad for you. I mean, you're a good guy and you could be an usher. You could do something. But you can't be a bishop. Sorry. You have disqualified yourself. You're out. There's nothing you can do. Um, I think that's wrong. I think on the basis of everything we've studied, that's wrong. This can't possibly mean that he has only had one marriage certificate. And I will very easily refute that by reminding you, what about Timothy? Remember Timothy? Timothy is a young man. Timothy has never been married. And Timothy was set up to be a pastor. He's not the husband of any wife. I oh, yeah, well, he was never, I mean, come on, he was never. Well, don't forget the come on. He is not the husband of any wife. This is not specifically saying you must be a husband and you must have only ever had one wife in your entire life. That's not what it says. That's not what it means to say. And that's not what it teaches. Because we have just seen that you can walk your way all the way through this chart and find that a person can be married, divorced, and remarried and have no sin assigned whatsoever, none. Why would we strip that brother of the possibility of serving in a capacity where he may be highly gifted? I just don't understand it. The idea of a husband of one wife, we study this in ministry tools and training in some detail. It means to be a one-woman man. It means to be the kind of a man who is faithful to the one woman he has if he has one, right? You are the kind of person who has eyes only for one. Your eyes don't wander. You don't, you don't, you don't cheat on your wife. You don't hook up. Listen, there are guys in pulpit ministries that have only had one marriage certificate and have never legally gotten a divorce, but they're hooking up with people all the time. Are they qualified? Well, of course they're not qualified. Uh, there's guys who maybe never actually go to the act of hooking up, but I mean, they're addicted to porn. Or they've lusted in their hearts after, remember what Jesus said, right? 
Man, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already with her. Well, I mean, is that guy qualified? Is that guy qualified to be a pastor? Well, the thing is, there's guys like that all the time. You just don't know about them. You just don't know about them. So this typically fundamental teaching of only once married men can be pastors is just wrong. It's just wrong. But, can I say, that's only if the marriage ended because of biblical grounds. You have to have followed this progression according to biblical grounds. So I put in your notes this statement. If the marriage ends without biblical grounds, well, then, then there's sin. Then there's sin. But can I just say, look, okay, there was sin. Accept it. It was sinful that you left that marriage. You shouldn't have. You did. Can any sin be forgiven? I, I sure hope so. <laughs> can any sin, can people have sinned at various levels and degrees of severity and be restored? Boy, you better hope so. Absolutely they can. Absolutely they can. But, and this is the last statement, verse 28. Nevertheless, such shall have, here we go, trouble in the flesh. Look, of course, if you have found yourself in a relationship and the relationship failed and, it, and you didn't even necessarily have her or him step out on you or whatever. It just, you know, you just got mad at each other and you were both carnal and you just said, ah, oh, we're done. Maybe that's you. Okay, well, that was a sinful act. You shouldn't have done that, but it's done. Okay, so what are you going to have as a result? Well, you're going to have some trouble in the flesh. That's what you're going to have, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, if you live in the same town as your ex, and you see her at Walmart with another guy, and you share custody with the kids, and you have very different worldviews, and you have different parenting styles and values, and you're paying alimony and child support, and you marry somebody else who maybe also was married before, and they have their issues from their previous marriage, and now you have a, created a blended family, and you've got kids that are his and hers, and you, I mean, you've got all this stuff going on. Listen, that's trouble in the flesh. It can be a blessing eventually, of course. But it's, you know, it's, there's struggle. There's difficulty. There's trouble in the flesh. So what does Paul say? Look, man, I love you, but I spare you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to spare you from all this difficulty. I'm trying to help you out, right? God's word is given to us, friends, for our good, right? Isn't that clear? I mean, God is not the cosmic killjoy trying to ruin your lives just to prove your dedication his word is given to help us deuteronomy 4 and verse 40 thou shalt keep therefore his statutes and his commandments which i command thee this day why that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee and that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth which the lord thy god giveth thee forever and so God, in this chapter, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, gives us once and for all the final period to the discussion of singleness, marriage, separation, divorce, remarriage, and all the different variations on those possibilities. And there is a certain hierarchy. There is an order of what's best. And these various marital statuses are given in order 
for the purpose of ministry. That's what they're for. It's for the purpose of ministry. That's why they're given in this order. It is for sure a progression. The best scenario possible. Never marry, serve the Lord, if you can do that. After that, okay, get married. There is no sin whatsoever. It's wonderful. Get married. But if you do, stay married forever to the love of your life and serve the Lord together. If for some reason that fails, if something happens, well then, stay single. Stay single and devote the rest of your life to only serving the Lord. And if you find yourself having been married a couple of times because of whatever circumstances, well, stay married and serve the Lord. But these things are given in order with the preference towards a clear mind and a clear schedule things which we will get into next time when we continue on in this chapter. But all of those steps, wherever you might find yourself, friends, without sin, you are free. He's made you free in Jesus Christ. And we can rejoice in that. And we cannot use those things, nor should we, as any kind of an excuse for not doing what the Lord has asked us to do. Let's pray and let's just have him give us the application. Heavenly Father,